good to see everybody today. Good morning. We're going to um, actually take our offering right now. And so it's something we do every week. It's the way we worship. Um, we are uh, the final few weeks of giving in the life of our church for 2018. So um, glad if you're a part of that, you can be a part of that. It's interesting how the room is laid out here. It's a real bright section over here. So if you want to read stuff or get a tan or anything, like... Over here is the place. Um, we can't control that section. So you guys are the bright people. A um, couple of... Th- couple, <laughs> uh, couple of things that are, I think are really important. Um, we've been in this series. Uh, I'm like turning like there's a screen here. Um, we've been in this series called The People Who Change. And before that, we were in this series, Be Become Do. And it's really been a journey for us as, as a church this fall, of really talking about what it looks like to follow Jesus. And we've talked at length, really at great length, about practice and how information doesn't change us. Um, inf- just getting more information, learning more about the Bible, learning more about theology, whatever, that doesn't change us. What changes is practice, practicing the ways of Jesus. And so our team, our leadership, our, uh, we've got a prayer team, um, uh, our staff, everybody's been working really hard to create some materials for you to try on your own and to try in community with other people. And so really quickly, there's a number of things. First thing I want to highlight is our prayer team put together um, some really cool, just handy Cards. These are these are postcard sized things, just simple um, guides, um, and you could keep these in uh, your Bible or whatever, or maybe uh, tack it on your mirror or whatever. Um, these are just some really handy things for you to to kind of begin to engage in prayer. Um, and um, we're going to talk more about this in the weeks to come. Yeah. There's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And they're just a tool, handy tool for you to have. Also, we've, many of you asked me about some of the books that I was reading to help with the series. There's a reading list of some of those books if you want to get nerdy. Um, and then uh, coming up um, in January, this book right here is called Immerse, the Reading Bible. And it's Chronicles. And uh, we're putting together groups that are going to read large chunks of the Old Testament together starting in January. And so if you'd like to be a part of this, um, the guide is in here. If you want to host a group, if you just want to be in a group, you have to let us know so we can help you do that. Okay? So if you're thinking about doing it, I mean, it's, it's like an eight-week commitment. You can do anything for eight weeks. Right? And so it's a great way to kick off the new year, and it's going to coincide with where we're going on our Sunday morning teaching, okay? So, everybody cool? Everybody ready? Matthew chapter, Matthew chapter 11. I thought you were responding to that. You're not. Oh, there you go. Matthew chapter 11. If you have a Bible, join me. It's not going to be on the screen because there is no screen. 
So if you need a Bible, there's some at the end of the rows. If we need more Bibles brought in, we have, uh, we have people that might do that. If you put your hand up and you want a Bible, we'll get you one. But Matthew chapter 11, here's how this is going to go this morning. We're going to do some scripture work at the beginning. We're going to do some scripture work at the end. And in the middle is just make me making you feel bad. Is that cool? Like, actually, no, it's going to be me making you and me feel bad. Are we cool? All right. Um, here's how this works. Matthew chapter 11. It's, this is the, almost the end, like I said, of these two series we've been doing. And I feel like as a community, we're right on the cusp of, of something really special. Uh, Mandy's got Bibles if you need one. Um, right on the cusp of something really special, a new season in the life of our community, kind of a new um, a new flavor for us. And today we're going to be talking about something that has the potential to derail all of it. Like literally, totally get us off track. And not only as individuals, but as community. And so let me read Matthew chapter 11, uh, verses 28 through 30. This is Jesus. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is Jesus' invitation for all who are tired, for all who are burned out stressed out, the worn down, the over busy. And I think that in 2018, I think it's safe to say that that's all of us. It's every single one of us, especially in this season. Most of us, I think if we're honest, we live with kind of a low grade fatigue and anxiety in our lives. And it never really goes away. And especially if you have little kids, you're just like soaking up every last minute of sleep or nap time or quiet or whatever. And what's great, listen to this. This is, this is Eugene Peterson's rendition of what Jesus just said out of the message. He says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. That's the invitation as some people call it, to an unhurried life. An unhurried life. A life where you wake up, you, you stare down the day ahead of you, and you follow Jesus. And how many of you, if you were honest, if we were honest with ourselves, can relate to that? Like a couple hands maybe, <laughs> right? I... Like the frenetic pace of life and the season that we're in just ends up just soaking into us, right? 
It's just like, oh, I just cannot wait until this is over. Like some of you are like Christmas people. Some of you are like, this is so busy and so, there's so many obligations and so many things to do. And now if that's your felt experience, that you're tired and you're worn out and you're burned out on religion, you're not alone. And the good news is that that verse that we were just talking about, that idea of a yoke, has the potential to unlock a whole new dimension in your apprenticeship to Jesus. And it's like hidden in plain sight, actually. I'm going to just, there's a few quotes that I've given you. If you took a program today, lucky you, because I actually put those quotes on the program in the back. Well, I didn't, but Mandy did. Thank you, Mandy. Um, And this is a a few things that we're going to work through today. Don't read ahead. Just do one quote at a time with me. I know how you people work. Dallas Willard says this, in this truth lies the secret of the easy yoke. The secret involves living as Jesus lived in the entirety of his life, adopting his overall lifestyle. Our mistake is to think that following Jesus consists of in loving our enemies, going the second mile, turning the other cheek, suffering patiently and hopefully, while living the rest of our lives just as everybody else does. It's a strategy bound to fail. And I think that is really, really simple but profound, this idea that you can do all this other stuff that Jesus told you to do, but if your life's just the same as everybody else's, you're going to fail. If we get caught up in the frenzy of a digital age and a busy culture and 90-hour work weeks and things like that, and then we decide that we're just going to add Jesus to that, it's not going to work. That's why we talk about all the time, if you want to experience the life of Jesus, you have to more and more experience the lifestyle of Jesus. So there's, this is more than a set of ideas, what we call in the church world, theology. Theology is good, but it's more than that. And it's more than a set of what we call, uh, you know, morality and ethics, okay? That's really important too. It's more than that. It's a lifestyle. And so this idea of a yoke is something that's not familiar to most of you, my guess. Uh, my guess is you don't know what a yoke is besides maybe eggs uh, or things like that. But it's a very agrarian metaphor that Jesus is using here. The idea behind it is, um, well, let me just read this. This is an, actually a New Testament scholar, probably one of the best ones on the book of Matthew, um, he wrote this, a yoke is a work instrument. Thus, when Jesus offers a yoke, he offers what we might think tired workers need least. They need a mattress or a vacation, not a yoke. But Jesus realizes the most restful gift he can give the tired is a new way to carry life a fresh way to bear responsibilities. Realism sees that life is a succession of burdens. We cannot get away from them. Thus, instead of offering escape, Jesus offers equipment. Jesus means that the obedience to his sermon on the mount, his yoke will develop us in balance and a way of carrying life that will give more rest than the way we have been living. Does that make sense? 
Like, it seems like you and me adopt this idea that, oh, I'm busy, I'm tired, I'm stressed out, I need a vacation. I need a me day, you know, whatever, (laughs) personal day, whatever. But really, that's just actually the surface wound of how we're living underneath. That's a band-aid, and Jesus wants to get to the real core, the real root of how we live, how we approach our life. What is our paradigm for living? See, there's an emotional weight to life. Would you agree? And and here's what I've noticed. Um, it uh, It actually, I think, increases the older you get. Um, I used to say this to, to people all the time. The more you know, the, more, the older you get, the more you wish you didn't know. Like there's like some things you learn, you're just like, I wish I didn't know that. I could have gone the rest of my life and been fine without knowing that. And it seems like the older you get, the more responsibilities you have and things like that. I was talking to some freshmen in college the other day at the coffee shop and and they were just like, oh, it's so stressful. It's so crazy. Um, I just can't wait till I graduate and I just won't have this stress anymore. <laughs> I said, oh, that's, that's cute. That's, a, that's adorable. That is just sweet. And here's the thing. Like, there's just this weight that we experience to life. And for most of us, when we hear discipleship to Jesus, here's what we think. We think another weight onto that. That's what we think. That's just one other thing I need to do. That's one other thing I need to commit to. And that's one other thing I need to add to my life. When that's not what was intended at all. See, what we've done is we've taken on this American way of living, this suburban, progressive, digital, like this just forwarding onward, growing our careers, our families, bigger, better, buying, selling. And then we've decided we're just going to add Jesus onto that. Or add a, add a Bible study. I should do a Bible study, right? Because I, I should do it. <laughs> or I should go to church again. Or, or like two weeks in a row. I know, nuts. <laughs> And it's like we, we just, we just, we have these lives. And we're just swimming in this life of just pressure and, and, and weight. And then we think following Jesus is more to that. Here's what a yoke is. A yoke is an instrument for plowing fields where you would attach two different oxen together. And what Jesus is saying is, I'm here right next to you. Come on in real close, okay? I'll take the majority of the burden. You just walk real close to me. That's beautiful, right? I mean, who doesn't want that? Match your pace of life to mine. I'll do the heavy lifting. See, the hardest way to follow Jesus is to live like everyone else does and then add discipleship to Jesus. Like, that's the hardest way to do it. Like, failure is 
on the horizon with that. The easiest way is actually to radically alter your lifestyle. I know that sounds crazy, and it is. And that's where life begins. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened. Let's start this over. Let's lay down your agenda. Walk close to me. Listen, and here's the thing. I hear that, and I say, great, but here's the problem. I would need to dramatically slow down. I would have to dramatically slow down. This is me talking, okay? Um, Because I know, as reading scripture, I know Jesus' pace of life. I know that there were people dying and he wasn't in a rush. Remember that, remember that story? Lazarus is like, Lazarus is dying. And he's like, yeah, I'll get there. Like, and he would have all these people that would show up and be like, hey, there's even more people this time. And he, he could care less. I mean, he cared about them. But his identity wasn't wrapped up in that. He would sneak off and be alone. His pace of life was slow. He was never in a hurry. He was always like fully in the moment with the people he was communicating with. His interruption, I mean, interruption after interruption. He lived patiently in each moment. And I know that. And so I know if I have to match my pace of life with that, that's going to be a radical change for me. I don't know if you guys know who that is. He's a famous uh, teacher and writer. He's got some phenomenal books out. And they're not on this list, but I would recommend them. He, his mentor was Dallas Willard. And one day he calls Dallas Willard up when he was alive. And he says, Dallas, he goes like, I'm doing all this stuff. I'm doing all this ministry stuff. It's all great, but I feel stuck. Like, I feel like a real stuck, like I'm, I'm, I'm just dry, I'm, I just don't feel anything. He's like, what do I need to do? Tell me what I need to do to get unstuck. And there's this long pause, just like awkward, long pause. And this is like over the phone, and um, this is kind of how Dallas Willard was just slowly thinking, chewing on it. On the other end of the line is Dallas Willard, notepad, pen, ready to write anything down. And Dallas Willard says, hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. John Ortberg writes this down. I mean, how good is that, right? John Orberg writes this down, and then he says, what's next? And then there's this another long pause, really awkward long pause. And John Orberg's ready to write down, what's next? Like, give me a couple points. And Dallas Willard says, there is nothing else. Hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Now, a lot of us, if we were to, if I was to ask you, like, what is your biggest obstacle in trying to apprentice Jesus, follow Jesus? 
And we could get really philosophical. We could say, well, it's secularism, humanism. We could see, we could do just all that stuff. And all that stuff's the out there stuff, right? A lot of us probably wouldn't mention hurry. And, and here's the deal. We're going to, I'm going to throw way ahead, way ahead. I don't know if it's this year or not. We're going to do a series on, <laughs> I can't tell you. If I t- no, I, well, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you. It's, it's, I don't, this is the working title, The Flesh, The Devil, and there's something else in there. <laughs> See, I, no, I told you I shouldn't have told you. Anyhow, but this idea that evil is personified. We actually believe in evil personified. Um, and so we also believe that we also live in an age with more work, overcommitting, iPhone dopamine rushes, all these things. There's a guy named Carl Jung. Do you know who Carl Jung is? He, he's actually the psychologist who, who did so much work with personality types, introverts and extroverts, right? And, and he was like the forerunner to everything Myers-Briggs. Anybody taking Myers-Briggs? Okay. Any ENFPs in the house? Yeah, let's, let's do a party after. Right on. Um, if you've never done it, um, you might be able to join our club. We'll see. But Carl Jung, listen to what Carl Jung said. He is a secular psychologist. Hurry isn't of the devil, it is the devil. That's what he said. And then there's this guy named, I'm I'm almost done beating us up. There's a guy named Michael Zigarelli. He did a survey of 20,000 Christians. Like one of the biggest surveys um, of Christians and how their life patterns work. And he wrote this. It may be the case, one, Christians are assimilating a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload, which leads to, two, God becoming more marginalized in Christians' lives, which leads to, three, a deteriorating relationship with God, which leads to, four, Christians becoming even more vulnerable to adopting secular assumptions about how to live, which leads to, five, more of a conformity to culture of busyness, hurry, and overload, and then the cycle begins again. Nobody laughed right there because we know, here's the thing, it is so, it's so inertia for us. Now, here's the thing that's super sickening. I am somewhat of a byproduct of what we call the church growth culture. And then, which spills over into the church planting culture. And if you pick up a a stack of about 10 different books on church planting and church growth, you are just going to get sick to your stomach because it's all about numbers and growth and bigger and better and flashier and more people and all this stuff. And there's just a never-ending, like, treadmill of work. But I thought you just sat at coffee shops and golfed. No, I don't golf that much, but I do sit at coffee shops. Here's the thing. Um, 
that guy, Michael Zigarelli, actually rated doctors, lawyers, and pastors the worst at busyness and overload. Not me, other pastors. <laughs> it's funny, like our leadership team is always on my case, which is great. They're always like, hey, how about you don't do that? How about you do this and not that? And it's really great. Um, you, should, you should hear them. It's really cool. No, it's really not. I'm really thankful for it. So, But I can't help but wonder. It's like we're all, um, we need to hear those words that Jesus tells Martha. In that famous story with Mary and Martha. And Jesus says, you are worried and upset about many things. That's what he says to her. You are worried and upset about many things. And so really the need of the hour, if we are going to do some of this work of being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what Jesus did. We have to eliminate hurry. We have to slow down. We have to take almost like a weekly or daily inventory of what our life really, our rhythm looks like. Now here's a fascinating history lesson. And I think this will really help us understand where we're at, the cultural moment we're at. So the clock was invented, did you know this, by, by monks. Monks invented the clock as a way to help them do fixed hour prayer. Isn't that amazing? And then um, somewhere along the way, I think it was, oh yeah, Cologne, Germany. I wrote this down in 1370. There was a turning point, okay? And there was a shift between, this is when the clock became a little bit more um, universal, and it was a shift between a relationship with time that was natural and time that was more calculated. Meaning, after the light, you know, Edison, you know, develops light uh, for everybody, like artificial light for us all, which is a beautiful thing. People used to live, uh, sleep before that, 11 hours a night on average. Because what would you do? The sun would go down, you'd light a candle, but you don't want to burn your candles out. I mean, you're not like up playing cards. And like to, I mean, you just go to bed. Plus the heat and everything like that. I mean, you just like snuggle in, go to bed, 11 hours, boom. Like when was the last time you slept for 11 hours and didn't feel like a total loser? Or you weren't on NyQuil, right? So there's that. Um, then we have all these labor-saving devices. Like, you remember when you used to have to chop wood? Like for heat? No, you don't remember? Now you just walk over to the, you just like press the button or do it from your phone, which is like screen time, which is the worst. But no, like, you remember when, uh, remember when you had to, like, walk everywhere or take a horse? You remember that? No? You don't remember that either? Remember how you used like, to actually have to, like, hand write a letter? No? You don't remember that? Some of us do. Some of us do. <laughs> Uh, but we have all these labor-saving devices, and all these labor-saving devices were supposed to cut down on our workload and give us more leisure time. <laughs> this is going to blow you away. Like, in spite of the fact that we have a dishwasher and a microwave and phones, we feel like we have less time. 
This is like the funniest thing I ever ran across. In the 1960s, social scientists thought that the convenience, all these convenient devices that we were inventing would allow us to spend our time doing something else. Like we would have all this increased leisure time. In fact, a Senate subcommittee in 1967 predicted by the year 1985, you and I would only be working 22 hours a week. 27 weeks out of the year. Be like France. Like without the tear grass, but like, just hang it. Is that too soon? The thing is, were they right? No, the government's never right. Ever. Here's the thing. We have all these things that like give us more time. And yet we have this insatiable way of filling it and doing more. We're afraid to miss out on things. Somewhere along the way, there's the death of the Sabbath in the American church. Now, a lot of you are probably going to push back and go, hey, the Sabbath, that's legalism. Um, like, 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 it can be, but my guess is you're not struggling with legalism. My guess is you're struggling with hurry. Like, what would it look like for you to actually try it? Like, have you ever tried it? Have you ever tried a sundown to sundown Sabbath? Phones off. Food's ready. People are in your life. You're enjoying each other. Like, here's what I'm going to guarantee you. I'm going to guarantee you the first few hours of it, you're going to be miserable. You're going to be freaking out. You're going to be like in in your head. (laughs) But here's what's interesting. In 1968, something changed in our culture. And it was 7-Eleven. 7-Eleven is the death of the Sabbath. 7-Eleven came along and said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to be open seven days a week from 7 to 11. People were like, what? That's insane. I can get milk at 10 o'clock at night. You can get milk at 10.59 at night. But that wasn't enough. Austin, Texas started, the the 7-Eleven down there started playing around with 24 hours a day. They did it for like a week. When a whole bunch of college students came back into town, they said, let's be open this like all night for this whole week. Well, it became like this thing. Like everybody was just like, this is amazing. I can get soda at two in the morning. Used to be that churches, some of you remember when you were chopping wood, (laughs) were the only things open on Sundays. The only thing. That's not the case anymore. And then in 2007, the release of the iPhone changed humanity. Much like the clock. And now we're on our phones all the time. I do want to report to you that my iPhone usage is down 28%. 
to three hours a day. <laughs> Judge Ian McJudgerson's out there. But here's the thing. We have no idea how much of a compulsion we're in. We have no idea. Listen to this definition of addiction. Addiction is the relentless pull to a substance or an activity that becomes so compulsive it ultimately interferes with everyday life. Like, we are addicted. We're addicted to our phones. We're addicted to our pace. And something is deeply wrong with us. We have hurry sickness. Hurry sickness is a behavior pattern characterized by continual rushing and anxiousness. It's like, it's, it's in us. You all have this, and I do too. We have different degrees of it. But one writer called it, hurry is actually a violence to our soul. It actually does violence to us. Now, we have a problem. Our problem is time, and the solution is not more time, because if you had more time, you would just fill it with the same stuff you're doing now, and you would just be even more exhausted than you are now. So when everybody in tells me, man, I wish I had three more hours of the day, really? Because you probably wouldn't sleep. Um, the solution is to slow down simplify our lives around the essentials of apprenticing Jesus. This idea, here's really the defining narrative of scripture about what it looks like to be human. This is what you would call a theological anthropology, meaning the study of being human and the study of God mixed together. Our defining narrative arc, okay, as human beings, is being made in the image of God, imago Dei, Right? Which is a beautiful thing. From the dust of the earth. The problem is, is a lot of us just, we love that Imago Dei thing. The purpose, the, the beauty, the potential we have as human beings. But we forget the dust of the earth part. Our mortality, our made out of the ground, our limitations. And somehow in the midst of this, we've forgotten how to live in the tension. Between our limitation, our dust of the earth part, and our made in the image of God part. And our culture is just live in this imago Dei. I mean, even though they don't believe in the imago Dei, they believe that we can, in a sense, just put all of our effort into this potential side, not the mortality side, the potential side. That's why we have self-help books because people are like starting to realize, well, wait, this isn't working. So we live in this culture that wants to transgress and cheat time and ignore our limitations and our mortality and see everything, experience everything and jump from one thing to the other thing and then Instagram about it so that people know that we're jumping from one thing to another thing. And, and this idea of seizing the day is not the defining narrative of Jesus. It's not. I mean, it's a great movie, Dead Poet Society and all. But that's not the defining narrative of Jesus. Nobody has more than 24. And we need to live deliberately. And I, I personally want that in my life. Like, I've, I've been purposely trying to slow myself down this week. And I pat myself on the back for that iPhone thing. But here's the thing. 
Like I've been trying to slow down. Like I was at the grocery store the other day and I'm usually the guy that's like, oh, they're slow. They're going to probably pay with a check. Um, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like whatever. And I'm like trying to game it, you know? <laughs> and I was like, no, I'm going to get in the longest line see what happens. And I'm like, do, do, do. I'm like, like fidgety. Like I, there's like a physical response to that for me. I tried to drive in the slow lane. Oh my goodness, that is awful. I'm going to settle in behind this big truck. It's the worst. But here's the thing. For two millennia, people have been practicing the things that Jesus has practiced. They've put into place things that Jesus has done um, and there's five quick things, and then we're going to close it out with a famous passage that, that may not uh, sound like it fits here, but it does. First one is Sabbath. Like, taste it. Try it. Do a half-day Sabbath. Try it. And there's no, like, perfect rule for this. Like, we put out a little uh, uh, a practice on Sabbath um, to just try, try it with, a, like, get a couple people together and say, hey, let's all try this, and then next week, let's talk about, like, what happened to us. Something will happen to you. This idea that it, it's almost like a governor on your life, um, so I'm told from people who really practice this. I'm admitting to you that I'm not like, hey, follow me, I do this all the time. No, I, I need to do this. Some people have told me that by practicing Sabbath, it actually puts a governor on their life and it does something to their other six days. Fixed hour prayer. This idea of like at this time and at this time, I'm setting an alarm. I am going to pull away. Like here's the thing. Like I've told this to a couple people and so don't like judge me for this, okay? But... I'm actually jealous of people who smoke. I've told this to Angela before. She's like, that's weird. And then I, here's my reasoning. Like this pole that takes you outside with a cigarette that you need to have every few hours or so. I'm not saying go, you guys should all go learn how to smoke. I'm not saying that, okay? Some of you are like, dude, I vape. Whatever. Um, whatever with that. Um, that's like worse. But anyhow, like... It's like the whole, like, broccoli lung thing. Anyhow, but, like, I'm like, like people are out, like, out in the back dock at their workplace just having a quick cigarette, like, just, like, thinking about their life, like, maybe alone in their head, just, like, slowing down. It's not working for you, I can tell. But here's the deal. Like, I'm actually jealous of that, that fixed moment in my day. Like, I could do that. I could do that without the nicotine. Like, I could do that without the addiction. It would be really cool. But, like, I could actually set time in my day to, like, go outside, be alone, think, reflect, pray. Like, okay, God, you are here. I am here. Fixed our schedule. This would be tough for some of you. But, like, just to have, like, a routine in your life, in your day, whereas you look at your schedule for the week. What's, a, what's an average schedule look like for the week? And what maybe needs to, to go and what needs to come in? 
and like being intentional about that. Uh, Stephen Covey said, we achieve inner peace when our schedules are aligned with our values. So if this is a value that you want, like how does it work in your schedule? Or are you just adding it on to the same schedule everybody else has around you? Simple living. Like, I always crack up at minimalism because minimalism is like rich people problems, right? It's like, like really, really, really affluent rich people. Like, yeah, I need to, I just need to have like three or four, like $300 shirts and then I'll be good. I'll just rotate the just messing around. But uh, for poor people, that's just life, right? But like, so minimalism is just life, right? So, but here's the deal. Like we live in such a consumptive culture. Like what would it look like over the next, like every week to just like, I'm going to go through this stuff and I'm going to get rid of stuff I don't absolutely have to have. And then I'm going to go through this stuff. And then when I get finished with my stuff, I'm going to go through my calendar you know that book group you don't really like to go to, but you feel like you should go to because people are expecting you to go to it? I don't know if you're into book groups, but... Like, what would it look like to just start pulling things and, 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 and looking at things intentionally? And then maybe this, this final thing is to just slow your pace. Like, when you leave your home... Like making an intentional decision. I'll get there when I get there. Try that slow lane. Try that checkout line. Try slowing down. Like force yourself to do it. Like force yourself maybe at the end of the day just to write down a few of the ways you saw yourself slow down. Maybe when you're writing, like reflecting on your day, what, it might, what happened today? Like if you have one of those days where you're just like, you get to the end of the day and you're just like, I don't even know what happened. I, I think I, what, what happened? You ever, you ever been driving somewhere and you don't remember getting there? Like how you got there? This is so jacked up. <laughs> it's like, I've done that before. I'm like, I'm not even paying attention. I'm driving a weapon. See, the ideas that we've had over the last three months, they don't make it into your schedule. If they don't make it into your schedule, if you don't slow down and ruthlessly, intentionally put things there, you will not, I will not really experience transformation. Here's what really got me as we close. I was reading the Great Commission And this is this passage out of Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 through 20. And um, this has just been, you know, if you've been around church for a long time or like me, you've been at church planting this and church that, seminars and stuff, it's always always here. It always lands here and starts here. But I'm going to read it to you. It says, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. When Jesus came to them and said, all authority on heaven, in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go, right, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. What is the command? 
What is the first command that Jesus gave them? Anybody? Like, go, right. Wrong. He said, go to the mountain I told you to go to. Meet with me. Some of them worshipped him, some of them doubted him. And we get, oh man. See, I never realized this before, but there's two commands there, and one of them comes before the other. And one of my greatest regrets in life is trying to carry out the Great Commission without having much communion. Like, and if I'm honest with you, I've participated in a lot of activity without much abiding. Luke chapter four, Jesus shows up on the scene. He, he walks into the synagogue. He unrolls a scroll out of Isaiah and he begins to read. He says this, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolls the scroll back up and he gives it back to the attendant, it says in Luke 4, and it says, and sat down, the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he, he began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The beautiful part about what Jesus is doing there is he's actually telling them that, hey, this is all coming true now. And what he's referencing is Isaiah chapter 61, and, and he read that, but he left out at the end this part, this beautiful part. This is like the most Old Testament-y uh, like metaphor for following uh, Jesus, for following uh, God. And it says this, they will be called, listen, oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. It's the most powerful apprentice metaphors in the Old Testament. They will be called oaks of righteousness. And I do not think, in fact, I believe that Isaiah was not describing a way that the people of God merely find a need met in Messiah. Like, this wasn't an add-on for them. This wasn't Isaiah saying, hey, go ahead and live like the Babylonians. Go ahead and live like the Persians. Go ahead and live like the Greeks. Go ahead and live like the Romans. And add a little practice on that. He's like, no, you're planted. You are planted by God. You are oaks of righteousness. You are a steady, strong, shade-giving, beautiful, splendor people. That's the image. Not frenetic, angry, pushed and pulled, frazzled, little like bush weed thing. <laughs> you are oaks of righteousness. Oaks take time, slow, patient, abiding, taproot, deep. Isaiah was envisioning a kingdom in which those people in need of grace over time solidly rooted in God's grace 
and they, enough so that they're able to extend grace to others. It's like the long view of life, right? That's the long view. So you and I need to remember in the long view of life what we're experiencing in the short view. Like the long view should, should, should help us like push through all that little stuff that just pulls at us and grabs at us. Because when we, we reach the end of the earthly life, like people don't regret, man, I should have done more stupid, useless, lame, busy stuff. People actually, the regrets they have as they look back, and most people, it's funny, when they interview people who are, who are about to pass away, they're like, man, I wish I didn't work so much. Wish I had been around more. Wish I had taken more breaks and vacations. Wish I had taken more naps. Wish I had to, on and on and on and on. So today, my encouragement for us as someone who hasn't figured it out what would it look like to live the unhurried life? What would it look like to slow down? Ryan, you can't tell us this. It's Christmas season. What a better time. What a better time. And I want to pray. I'm going to just kind of guide us through a little bit of imaginative prayer right now. As you imagine your life. And then Elliot's going to be coming up and we're going to sing one final song.